Thank you for tuning in to Living Life with Purpose, a ministry of Florida Bible Church in Miramar, Florida. At Florida Bible, we believe that life is preparation for eternity and hope this message will be an encouragement and blessing to you. More information about Florida Bible can be found at www.floridabible.org. Every one of you is a friend of God because of somebody this morning. And as we, uh, we go to this time of preaching, let's start with just a moment of prayer and let's thank God for the witnesses that allowed us to be friends of God. Let's pray together. Father God, so many of us are your friends and have relationships with you because of people that shared you, that already knew you, and we're so thankful for them this morning. For some of those, they've already passed on, God. They are in your presence already, and for others of those, we walk in the midst of them each day, and we just thank you for people that have been faithful. And God, we are still blown away by this idea that you want to have a relationship with us that you want to know us intimately and you want us to intimately know you. What an incredible thought. And so, God, as we gather around your word today, I pray that the thing that would happen more than anything is that people would be encouraged in their relationship with you, that I would be a vessel that would speak your word clearly, and that we could grow to know you better because of this time we spent together. We pray this in your name. Amen. I need to ask you a personal question. How many of you carry a BlackBerry? Raise your hand. Okay, BlackBerry people. Androids? Droids? Do we have any droid people here? Okay, okay. How many people love the iPhone? You're going to heaven. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. What a world we live in. Right here, I have the Internet and every important fact of my life. My brain is no longer here. It has slipped to my waist. (laughs) You know, my love affair with personal devices started in the 90s with this little device right here called the Palm Pilot. I remember still the first day I saw one. I got a call from a missionary friend of mine, and he wanted to download his whole missionary list into this thing called a Pilot. I'd never heard of one before, so I went to my local computer store, and I said... What is a pilot? And they showed me this little square device that fit into my hand. And I said, well, I've got this friend. He wants to put this in. And then they started pushing buttons at the bottom there and showing me what they could do. And I was, like, very intrigued by this. Because, see, I carried a day timer. I carried little ones and big ones. And I was always had so many things that I was in charge of. And so I was always writing stuff down and putting my appointments and everything. And this looked like fun. My daytimer was not fun. And so not only did I learn how to download that, but I left that day with one of those in my hand. And I've had a personal device in my hand ever since. Let me tell you the thing that I love the most about it. The task list. Not because I like doing tasks, but there's a little square at the beginning of the task list, and when you put your little stylus on that, the task disappears. (laughs) And it's gone. I don't even know where it goes but it's not there anymore. And I love the idea that when I get something done, I can hit that little button and it goes away. I love things that can be checked off, don't you? But you know what? The more I've thought about life, the more I realize that most of life is not checkable. There are so many uncheckable tasks 
And I have those in my, in my iPhone now too. And when I hit that little button, all it does is move to the next day. And then the next day I open up my iPhone and it says, hi, I'm back. You get to do me again. I started thinking about all the uncheckable things in life. Um, because they cause fatigue in our lives, don't they? The things that we can't check off. I, I have some I'm not even on my list. Laundry. Laundry is uncheckable. I can tell, you know, I, I t- kind of take on the task sometimes and do the laundry around the house, and it is amazing to me how you can get all the laundry done and then you find two socks. <laughs> because laundry is uncheckable. Wouldn't it be great to just one day do laundry and never have to do it again? Yeah. That's why some of you got married. <laughs> but laundry is uncheckable, isn't it? Dishes. Dirty dishes are uncheckable, aren't they? All of us like to eat. I think the reason we like to eat out so much is because somebody else does the dishes. <laughs> but dishes are uncheckable. Dust is uncheckable. You can clean up all the dust and somehow it sneaks back. Did you know that when it gets so deep it doesn't get any deeper? No, I, you probably didn't know that. Um, but here's some other things that are uncheckable in life. Marriage is uncheckable. And you're saying, why is marriage uncheckable? Because if I make a decision today to be a great husband, I, I maybe be, am able to check that off for today, but tomorrow I might blow it and I lose my check. Marriage is uncheckable. It is an uncheckable task in our life. It brings fatigue at times because you always have to be working on your marriage. There isn't a time where you can just say, I'm done with marriage. It's good now. Because it's a continual task. Here's another one. Parenting. Parenting is an uncheckable task. Especially when you have three teenagers. It's uncheckable. It never ends. You can't go to bed one night and say, I'm done parenting. Because the next moment you woke up and they're still there. Marriage is an uncheckable task, and it, 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 as much as we'd like to see it done, we have to continue to work on it. Finances. Wouldn't it be great to stop paying bills? I don't recommend this. <laughs> Could get you in a lot of trouble, but, but every month, we get all those first of the month bills done, and 14 days later, there's a bunch of bills going, hi, it's my turn. It's uncheckable. Um, home repairs. You know, I, I love home repairs, but it seems that I get one set done, and as soon as I get them done, there's other things that need to be done. It's uncheckable. Taxes. Certainly uncheckable, isn't it? And, and every year, they decide they like my money. And they want more of it. And it's uncheckable. And wouldn't it be great if one day a president would stand up and say, no more taxes. You guys paid enough last year, you get a year off. Wouldn't that be awesome? But it's uncheckable. Eating well. Eating well is uncheckable. We can do it for a while, but all of a sudden you just need a cheeseburger, don't you? You need some fries. There's that new place called Minchie's. You need Minchie's. Exercise is the same way. And there's so many things in life that are uncheckable and we have to keep on doing them over and over and over again. We don't get to watch the little box disappear. And we are worn out by this in life. I see it on you sometimes. When I, you come in here, I can tell that you've had a horrible, uncheckable week. And, and you're just tired. You know, when I think about this, and the reason I thought about this, 
is that the most important things that we're supposed to do in our relationship with God are uncheckable as well. For instance, the great commandment to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. It's uncheckable. Have you thought about that? You can't one day say, "Uh, I, I checked you off yesterday. I don't have to love you today. But day after day, there's this demand, this responsibility, this reality that the great commandment is an uncheckable thing that we have to be about doing. The great commission is the same way. We're supposed to go into the world and share the gospel with every person. And you know what? That is an uncheckable task. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins is an uncheckable task. We, we don't have a quota. There's no quota in the Bible that says, after you have led three people to the Lord, you're done. You did good. No, it's an uncheckable task. In fact, if we're honest, we, we, we get fatigued by the gospel itself. I'll give you some examples of where that fatigue comes Have you ever noticed that sometimes when you hear the gospel being shared somewhere, you mentally check out at that moment? Our tradition is we usually do it near the end of the service, and I watch people. And some people, as soon as the pastor says, there are a couple of you that I need to speak to today, they open up their purse. They pull out their smartphone. They plan lunch. They mentally check out. Because they've heard it before. Uh, They know it. They don't relish it anymore. They aren't praying for the people in the room that might not be saved. They're gospel fatigued, and so they mentally check out. Because we're mentally checked out, we stop sharing the gospel sometimes too. There are times that there are people in our lives that really need to hear the gospel message, but we're mentally tired of sharing the gospel. When I was a youth pastor, I'd have students come up to me and say, I'm not coming to the next outreach. Why? You know, Pastor Jim, I've been trying to invite the same ten people to your messages for the last five years, and they never come, so I don't know why I'm going to come. I'm tired of sharing the gospel. And so I stopped sharing it. Because sometimes I'm not getting the results that I want. Why is it that everybody else has friends that get saved and I have friends that never get saved? We stop sharing the gospel because we're fatigued. The last thing that we start doing is we stop investing. We stop investing in reaching the lost. When the missionaries come and when we see those kinds of opportunities, maybe you have friends or relatives that end up on the mission field and what we end up doing is we end up not investing in that at all. We don't invest by praying. We don't invest by giving. And the reason we don't is, quite frankly, we're tired. We're fatigued. We can't afford it. It's like one more kid coming to your house and wanting to sell you a candy bar for who knows what. And we're tired of the fundraising. We're tired of giving. And so, we're fatigued by the gospel. But what do we do about it? How do we fight this fatigue? Because obviously, um, it sounds really unspiritual to say, you know what, I'm just tired of the gospel. That's kind of, doesn't that sound unspiritual? So how do we fight it? What do we do? I think Hebrews speaks to this. It says this, it says, Therefore, since we have, 
We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you do not, so that you do, so you will not grow weary and lose heart. And in other words, it's like the writer of Hebrews understood and was concerned that we were going to get tired, and that we were going to get weary, and that life was going to make us just worn out. Isn't life stressful? Isn't it hard? Sometimes we get so busy in some of the stresses in life that we come to Saturday and there's so much laundry there that we just go out and buy new clothes. It's easier. It's just too much work. And so these verses give us some clues. And the first clue is that we need to remember the witnesses. You know, Hebrews chapter 12 ironically comes after Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11, we have what is called the Hall of Faith. And enlisted in there is many men of the Bible and how they had faith. And it goes on at the end to list unnamed people who stood up for Jesus Christ and were martyrs of many horrible different ways for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it calls them the witnesses. And it says, since we have such great cloud of witnesses... And so one of the things that we need to remember is we need to remember those people who have been the witnesses. Obviously, we should remember the Bible characters with that. But here's a question for you. Who shared the gospel with you? You know, we prayed about that at the beginning of the sermon. Who shared the gospel with you? Who told you the good news of Jesus Christ? Who did not grow weary so that you heard the message? Think about it this way. Think about the fact that somebody told them about the gospel. And that person told someone else about the gospel. And so we have what is the biggest pyramid scheme in all of creation that started with the 12 disciples. And because of the 12 disciples shared the gospel, other people heard, who other people heard, who other people heard, who the people that told you heard. And so we have the gospel. Aren't you glad that they didn't grow weary? Have you ever thought about what would have happened if gospel fatigue had affected them? Where would you be sitting today instead of in this church if somebody had not shared the gospel with you? You might be one of those people that look well-rested and a little more casual that you're going to meet as you go to restaurants after church today. Have you ever noticed that? There's a whole bunch of people that sleep in on Sunday mornings and they go out to the restaurants. They haven't heard the gospel. They just like Applebee's. You could be one of those people. How different would your life be if you had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's an interesting thought. He goes on and tells us first that we need to remember the witnesses and the second second thing he says we need to do is eliminate distractions and sin. Part of the reason that we're not sharing the gospel sometimes is we're just too busy doing a whole bunch of other stuff. 
Have you ever asked God to take a look at your life and say, God, what in my life is unnecessary? What in my life have I filled it with that is standing in the way of filling it with you? We need to get rid of those distractions. In fact, we need to also get rid of the sin in our lives because I don't know about you, but when I am sinning, I find it harder to witness. Have you ever noticed that? Because you start sharing the gospel and Satan can go, loser, you're a loser, you big fake. What are you doing sharing the gospel? You don't live it. You're sinning. I saw you do this yesterday. And so obviously we need to get rid of distractions and we need to get rid of sin. Part of the reason sometimes they're so weary in life is because we are not being obedient in life. God promises us rest, but if we don't live a life that's obedient to Him, we do not experience that rest. It doesn't matter how many vacations you go on. It doesn't matter how many weekends that you have that are long. If you are not living in obedience, you're not living in rest. And when you're not living in obedience, you don't hear the voice of God. And so when He says, this person needs to hear about me, you're going, I'm sorry, was that you? And so the second thing we need to do is eliminate distractions and sin. I didn't write down the next one, but write this next one down, is is that it says that we're supposed to run the race as we continue on in the scripture. So just put down, get moving. Get moving. Get active. Share the gospel poorly with somebody. Because the more times you share it poorly with people, the more more opportunity that you're going to have to share it well. Because we don't always start well. Sometimes we don't do it so well. And I have to be honest and tell you that sometimes I've won more people to the Lord when I'm not doing it so good. Just get moving. Share the gospel. The last thing you need to do is fix your focus on Christ and His cross. You know... There's a story in the New Testament that's so wonderful that talks about Peter getting out of the boat and walking on the water. And then it says that he was distracted and he sank. I think there are times where you and I are distracted and so we're sinking. And so we need to remember to keep our eyes on Jesus. Right now, In the quietness of your heart, what is God telling you is the focus of your life? Is it Jesus? Hmm. Interesting thought. You see, we're supposed to live the uncheckable Great Commission. We're supposed to live that out. The Great Commission says this, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The first thing that it tells us is that we're reaching out in God's power. And the word power there is the same word that's used that raised Jesus from the dead. And so we're not going into these situations powerless. We are going into situations of sharing the gospel, having incredible power. Stop thinking you're unplugged when you're sharing the gospel. You're wired to do it. God's power is flowing through you so that you can share the gospel with other people. 
It goes on to tell us these different places that are the wares that we're supposed to be sharing the gospel. But in reality, as we take a look at it, it really tells us about the who's of who we should share the gospel with. First it says Jerusalem is a place that we should be sharing the gospel. And, it, and this is, describes the people that you love and that you know. You see, this challenge was given to people who were in Jerusalem and he's saying the first place that you need to share the gospel is where you're at with the people you already know. If we were to take this room right now, every one of you probably knows 20 to 30 unique people that nobody else in this room knows. And if you were to take the hundreds of us times that, that makes thousands of people that we have the responsibility to share the gospel with that we can uniquely share the gospel with. And my 30 are different than your 30. Interesting strategy, isn't it? And so the first people we're supposed to reach out to are the people we know. The second group is Judea. Jerusalem was in Judea. And so what he was telling him here is that we need to be reaching out beyond our normal people we know to other people who are just like us. Because we have the unique ability to reach to them because we're like them. When the missionary uh, we had this morning shared in one of the services, one of the things he said is they're excited that the churches in Africa are becoming sending churches because that African people are better at re- reaching Africans than people from Europe and North America are, which makes great sense, doesn't it? And so we need to be looking beyond just who we know to who are the other people that are just like us that need to be reached by us with the gospel. The third group of people is the Samaritans. Now, a lot of you already know this, but I want to remind you that Jewish people did not like Samaritans. They were on the do not like list. They thought little of them. If they wanted to berate one of their brothers, they'd say, you're nothing but a Samaritan. Ooh, that would cut. You know, every one of us has a group of people that we just don't like very much. Don't we? Sometimes it's individual people because of personality conflicts. Sometimes it's whole groups of people because of prejudices and racisms that we, we harbor in our heart. But God is calling us not just to reach people that we like and who are like us, but God is calling us to reach people we don't even like, that aren't like us. People that are not kind to us. I've been doing a Bible study with a group of men and we've been talking about who we should reach out to. And every time we do this, the Lord raises up the name of a neighbor that has been so mean to my wife. And I pray that someone else will reach her. And then God says, she's on your list. It's hard to reach out to people that we don't like. To groups of people that we don't love. And yet that's the call of the gospel. Think about all the people in this room who the reason we're connected isn't because of the great connections we have somewhere else. It's just Jesus that connects us. Isn't that true? And then there's one more group. The ends of the earth. Everyone else. We are called by God to reach everyone in the whole world. Amen. But how do we do that? How do we reach out to these people? First of all, we need to be personally involved. The gospel isn't something you hire out for other people to do for you. 
You need to be personally involved. This is not a spectator sport. There are no armchair quarterbacks in this. Everybody is in the game. You need to be personally involved in evangelism. How do I get in personally involved? Well, you need to have a list of people that you're praying for that you're going to reach out to. You need to be praying for the world. There are different places you can go. I just found a a cool one last night called Joshua Project, where if you bring up that site every day, you can even have it on your iPhone. Every day it will give you a unique people to be praying for. The, The gospel of Jesus Christ will be reached by to that group of people. The second thing that we need to do is we need to make personal investment. In other words... You need to give of the resources that God gave you to make sure that we're reaching this world. It is so very important that we do that. And why is that important? It's important because of this. Okay, let's be honest. How many of you have ever had one of those days that's just a really hard day, and you know that the rapture is coming when Jesus will take us all away, and you decide this would be a great day for the rapture? (laughs) Have you had those days? You're just thinking, dear God, rapture today please please yeah have you not had those days i'm going to tell you why it hasn't happened yet here's what it says this is in this in this chapter 24 of matthew jesus is explaining what it's going to be like in the last days and what are going to be the signs of his return and this is one of the things he says and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Do you know why we need to be investing in the gospel to the whole world? Because if we don't come, if we don't do it, Jesus doesn't get to come back. That's the reality. There's statistics that go along with this. Of the people in the world today, there are about 7,000 unique people groups in the world today. And only only 60, um, what is it? Only 68% of them have a witness of the gospel to them. In other words, 42% of the people groups in the world today do not have a gospel witness to their language and their people. Let's look at it a different way. Every one of you is sitting next to two people. Of the three of you, one of you does not have a gospel witness. Why do we need to be investing in the gospel? Well, selfishly, just because we want Jesus to come back. But more importantly, because we love all of these people, and we want everybody to be in. We, we don't want to selfishly say, okay, this group of people gets to go to heaven, but that group doesn't. We want everybody to have opportunity to make sure that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, you need that opportunity today. Some of you in this room have never made a decision to be a personal follower of Jesus Christ. You haven't realized yet that there is nothing that you will ever do to be good enough to take care of the bad that's inside of you. The Word of God calls every one of us a sinner because we do bad things and we rebel against God. And to be honest, we like rebelling against God at times, don't we? It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It goes on to say this. It says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, we have done bad things, but Jesus can become a substitute and take the punishment for our sins, and that is what the cross is all about. 
The cross is all about Jesus taking the punishment for our sin. And by us accepting his sacrifice on the cross, we can have a personal relationship with Christ, with God. But we can only have that relationship if we personally trust in Jesus Christ to be our personal Savior. You're going to hear people out there saying that Jesus Christ died for everybody, and so we're all in, and that is not the truth. John chapter 1 verse 12 says that we have to believe in the name of Jesus Christ so that we can be saved. And some of you are in this room, and you're a part of the 42% today. And you need to make a decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to go one step further and be bold and tell you that if you do not make a decision, that that is a decision as well. And it's as simple as praying a simple prayer that says, I trust in you. I need you to be my Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. The back of the bulletin also has a sample prayer of what it means to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. You need Jesus. Thanks for listening. Here at Florida Bible Church, we believe the first and most important step in life's journey is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So the question is, how about you? If you haven't started this relationship, you can use this model prayer. Jesus, I do want to begin a relationship with you. I know that I have sinned against you and cannot save myself. So right now, I ask for your forgiveness of all my sins and I accept you as my personal Savior, believing that you died on the cross and paid for all my sins. Forgive me now and please give to me your precious gift of eternal life. Amen. You can find this prayer along with more detailed information on our website at www.floridabible.org. Just click the Beginning a Relationship with Jesus button. There you will also learn more about us and find the next steps for a Christ follower. Thanks again for listening to Living Life with Purpose.